Good morning. In our series, Transformations, today we're going to be taking a look at the topic of being human. What does it mean to be human? This is a big picture topic this morning, but it's extremely important because this question is perhaps the unifying question that people are asking today in the 21st century. It is a question that has paradigm shifting implications depending on how you answer it. And in many ways, it is a culmination of our entire series, Transformations, because there is perhaps no more important transformation that is going on around you than the one that is in you. And so today what we're going to do is two things. First, we're going to look at the question of why. Why has this question captivated the cultural conversation? And how has the dialogue in our culture been changing related to our perceptions of being human? Secondly, we're going to... uh Look at a theological framework for the church that will help us to interpret this question question, and to answer a culture that is searching for what it means to be human. So let's go to the first. Why has this question uh, become so much a part of our cultural nomenclature? And how has the conversation been changing? I think if we were to address the question of why people are asking this question, I would summarize it like this. We as human beings are looking around and we are seeing people act in inhumane ways. They um, are terrorizing other people. They are oppressing other people. And we see so many actions by other human beings as inhumane. I think that we as human beings are also walking around And on the inside of us, many of us feel inhuman. We feel like we're zombies, like we're vampires, like we're aliens. And we feel dead on the inside, but ravenous for anything around us that we think will give us life. And so that we can escape this existence of walking around like the living dead. And I think we as human beings are not just looking at the inhumane actions of others. We don't just feel inhuman on the inside, but we are also being told in our culture that in the future, we will be able to be superhuman uh, through our technology, through our uh, understanding of, of kind of our inner divinity. There's a Disney Plus show, a miniseries right now called WandaVision, and this captures that sense of a superhuman future where we will either be like Wanda and have this divine inner power, or we will be like Vision and walk around as robotic cyborgs. We are asking this question. No, there is no wonder why people are asking this question as we, uh, are exploring what it means to be human. How do you uh, answer the question of what it means to be human? Would you say the answer is to be human means to have love in your life? Would you say that it means to be at peace in your life? Would you say that it means to be happy with your life? Would you say that it is to try and be a good person and to contribute good to the world? Would you say that being human is simply to be true to yourself Maybe you're not quite sure what the answer to that question is. And culture is asking that question, but it's not really sure either what the answer is. Our identity as human beings in today's culture, it's shifting, it's blurring, 
it's morphing. We take DNA tests today because we suspect that the person we thought we knew, uh, we may not really know. It may be a different person inside of us. We have apps on our phone where we can meet people from around the world, but those people are really not interacting with the real us. They're interacting with a username. They're interacting with a, a socially constructed projection of who we want them to see. Video gamers assume avatar identities. Uh, YouTubers upload deep fake videos where we watch them and we're really not sure if that person in the video is that real person. NFT, non-fungible token artists, create a graphic or they create a video uh, from their life or in their artistry. They then sell it on the blockchain and they monetize it through dollars or uh, uh, DeFi altcoins. And uh, they essentially become their own bank as human beings. And that has enormous implications for the end times and the mark of the beast and, and one world currency. And that's a different sermon. But uh, this is changing what it means to be human. What does it mean to be human in our current conversation with biotech? We are now able to 3D print human organs. And we're well on the way towards realizing that. Uh, there was a story on NPR the other day that says that scientists are creating embryo-like uh, organisms without a sperm or an egg. There are people today who um, are putting video cameras in their eye sockets to record their life, antennas connected to the back of their head so that they can see colors where they were once colorblind. And um, we are putting chips inside of our body to monitor our health. And this is all changing what it means to be human. When we look at our language, we have gender-neutral pronouns. We have maybe a dozen prefixes that describe our sexuality because um, we find that the old binary categories don't really describe who people see themselves as. We take psychological diagnostic tests that go by the names of Myers-Briggs, Strength Finders, Enneagram, DISC, because we have to take these metrics to figure out who we really are on the inside. Who is the true us? Um, what is our temperament? What do we do well? Which, by the way, that has its roots not just in psychology, but in witchcraft and the New Age. This idea that there's an inner self waiting to be discovered that is this person of light, this positive person. Uh, the wellness movement tells us of our how we can maximize our human potential as human beings for ourselves and the betterment of humanity. And we are in a $2 trillion race right now to take ordinary people into space and perhaps one day to colonize Mars. I wonder if that whole conversation to take people into space is simply a way of people saying, um, I want to escape what it means to be human with these other human beings and start over. We in our culture are redefining the language of what it means to be human. We are altering what it means to be human with our digital identities. We are searching for what it means to be human as we uh, look to diagnose through certain metrics what it, uh, who we are. And we are creating a new humanity through the merging of our wearable technology soon to become our embedded technology. The world in the post-Christian age, in a post-Christian age, of spiritual exploration, the time we are living in today here in the West, has rejected the truth of Scripture. It has rejected the authority of God. 
It has rejected the tradition of the faith. It has rejected the community of the church. And because the world has rejected this, it doesn't mean that it will give up trying to define what it means to be human. The opposite will happen. It will define what it means to be human in any way it sees fit in a myriad of ways. To sum up, humanity outside of God will see it as the humane thing to do to define what it means to be human in any way that it sees fit. It's like the last verse from the book of Judges where the prophet Samuel uh, summarized this time in Israel's history. And he said, in those days, Israel had no king. And so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was fit. And I think that's an apt verse for uh, our culture today. I would say because our world in the post-Christian age has rejected God and does not hold up God as king, then everyone is feels the freedom to define what it means to be human in any way they see fit. Culture is asking, what does it mean to be human? How is the church answering? How, is the, how, how does the church need to interact with this? How does the church need to speak truth into this context? Our theme verses for our series, Transformations, comes to us from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And if I could just summarize what Paul was saying there and contextualize it for our topic today of being human, I think Paul was getting at something like this. I think Paul would have said, church, the world around you is going to define what it means to be human. It's searching for what it means to be human. Do not conform to its broken and sinful definition of what that means. Instead, today, as you submit your lives to God's truth, to God's will, you will discover the divine humanity of Jesus Christ, who will help you to discover God's good and acceptable and perfect will for your life. I think Paul would say that to the church today. And so what kind of theological framework do we need to use as a church to approach this dialogue, to speak truth into a culture that is asking the question of what does it mean to be human? Let's take a look at a uh, essential foundational kind of a spiritual anthropology, a theological framework that we can use to evaluate this question. What does it mean to be human? Our answer as a church should be this. What it means to be human is to have life. It is to have life. When we say life, we are not talking about being physically alive. We are not talking about feeling the experience of being alive. We are not talking about uh, believing that you are living a fulfilled life. Those things are all important. But when we say, what does it mean to be human? It means to have life. What we mean by having life is knowing that your life and my life came from Jesus Christ. And it is only through Jesus Christ living through us that we can then have life. That is our definition of having life. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 as he talks about how our lives have come from, are held up by Jesus Christ, and that he is the source of our life. In Colossians chapter 1, 
verse 15 through 20, Paul says this to the church at Colossae. He, that is Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. That's Paul saying that our lives were created, are held up. The universe in existence is held up by the life of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say in verse 18 about how he is the source of life. Verse 18, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself. All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul says here that Jesus Christ is God. He is the fullness of God to us. And he has reconciled us to himself through his sacrifice and his subsequent resurrection on the cross. And therefore, it is his life that has risen from the dead to give us life. And that is the true definition of what it means to be human, to have life through Jesus Christ. Why is that important? It's important because uh, we are dying, and we will one day die physically. And it is important because currently, without Christ, we are spiritually dead. Dying and death, whether physical or spiritual, is a reality in all of our lives You know, when you were born physically, the moment you came out of your mother and you gasped for breath, you fought for life. But as your body developed, uh, it wasn't long until we get to our 20s, but that biologically, our everything in our body from our brains to our bones to our organs... um, through uh, every part of us from head to toe starts the process in our 20s of starting to age. And uh, we age at different rates with our bodies, but our body starts the process of aging in our 20s. In fact, in our mid-50s, our DNA starts to decay at a rapid rate within us. And it doesn't take long for us to recognize at a very young age that we all are going to physically die, that no one lasts forever on their own. And so what we do as human beings is we try and maintain our youth. The longer, the older we get, we try, we bemoan the fact that our body is aging. We uh, search for ways to extend life. We want to... Uh, Um, in some way, in some kind of futuristic world, transfer our thoughts into the clouds so they can be stored there if we're to believe the futurists and the transhumanists in their language. And we as human beings are doing everything that we can to deny the reality of death and to extend our lives. And so there is a sense that we know that we are physically dying And one day we will physically die. But the second reality is perhaps more difficult to understand outside of the context of the truth of of God's word. And that is that we are already spiritually dead within us. 
without Christ. This is what the, uh, the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8. He said, the body is dead because of sin. In Ephesians chapter 2, that we are dead in our trespasses. And we have to communicate to the world this difficult reality that even though you are physically alive, you are spiritually dead in your natural state. Um, theologically, what makes us feel alive in life is, at best, God's common grace in our lives. At worst, it is our flesh coming alive inside of us. Jesus Christ came so that we could have life, spiritual life, and a resurrected life with a new body to conquer what is dying within us and what is already dead. Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again so that we may have life through him. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. John chapter 3, verse 16. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Matthew 25, verse 46, the righteous will enter into eternal life, those who know him. The gospels go on to give metaphors of who Jesus is. Uh, he says that he is the gate. He is like water for our souls. He is like bread to feed our souls. He is the source of light um, that if we feed on his flesh, if we drink his blood metaphorically, we will have eternal life. It says in the gospel of John, the apostles saw Jesus as the source of life as well. The apostle John, Luke, Paul, Peter, Jude, all talked about Jesus as the source of life. Uh, even unbelievers in the gospels uh, saw Jesus as a source of life. There was a lawyer in the parable of uh, the Good Samaritan, actually a lawyer who came to interact with Jesus right before Jesus told that parable. And his question was, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? There was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus at one point and he asked, what must I do to have eternal life? So even unbelievers saw Jesus as having the way to eternal life. Jesus came so that we may have life, both now and in eternity. And that is the definition of what it means to be human, to have life, to have his life in us. Uh, when you do not have life, what happens to you? See, what we need is because we are physically dying and will physically die one day, and because we are already spiritually dead in our natural state, we need life to come in from the outside to us because we can't generate that life on our own. When you do not have the life of Jesus Christ in you, what happens is the inside of you starts to collapse in your spiritual life. You start to implode in your spirit, which then results in you exploding towards others in your actions. Um, to illustrate this, I was eating lunch one day uh, with a young man that I'm not really sure he's a believer. And uh, we were meeting at Philippe's uh, right in downtown LA. This is during COVID. 
And I was trying to communicate this idea that Jesus is the source of life. And without him, uh, we have this dynamic of spiritual deadness inside of us. And we start grasping for any life we can get. And uh, I was sitting across a table from him. And I, at one point, I just stopped and said, you know what? Um, it's, uh, let me give an example. I said, I'm looking at you right now. And uh, you know what? You, you're a decent, you look like a decent guy. You know, you're, you look like you're well put together. You're well-spoken, you're intelligent, um, and uh, we're eating this great food right in front of us, this, this um, French dip sandwich and this lemonade. It's delicious. It quenches our thirst. We're breathing air right now, and uh, it's a good day. The sun is shining. And so if we were to look at you, we would say, this person uh, has a good life. This person is full of life. But then I said, but if I was to take away from you air, for about 60 seconds, or if I was to take away from you food for about a week or so, if I was to take away from you water for a day, if I was to um, just deprive you, deprive you of relationships in your life, we would see a very different person come out. You would not be the civilized person. What would happen is we would see a maniac arise from within you to get air, to get water, to get food, to get relationships that you were isolated from. And you would, because you were starving, because you were thirsting, because you were suffocating, you were imploding, and you would fight back. You would grope. You would claw for life, and you would explode outwards to find it. And I said, that is the journey of the human spirit without Jesus Christ. We can look good for a while on the outside, but if we are not connecting with his life, then we will start to implode and then explode. This is what the Apostle Paul said at the end of Romans chapter 1, and again at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read to you these passages where Paul describes the end result of people in their natural state without Jesus Christ imploding and then exploding without the life that he gives to them. Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32. Paul says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Paul's talking about people who are out of control to get life because they are dying on the inside and it manifests itself through evil. Again, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, Paul says something very similar. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. These are people imploding to explode, 
proud, arrogant. These are people that are grasping at whatever they can to get life because they're dead on the inside. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. And what this illustrates is who we are as human. This is what it means to be human without the life of Jesus Christ. We can look good on the outside for a while, but inside, if we are denied the life that he can give to us, we, be, we are this, this vacuum that seeks. That's why we search for idols to worship, to give our lives to. Because when we don't have, in a sense, the living idol of Jesus Christ living inside of us, giving us life, we search out idols of the world that are actually think, we think that they offer life, but they actually deliver death to us. And we're searching for life through dead idols. This is why people um, outside of our Lord seek to consume other people, either relationally or physically, because they're searching for life, because they are dead on the inside. This is why people feel numb on the inside, because uh, they, they, they just struggle and can no longer deal with this sense of inner spiritual death and toxic toxicity within their lives. And uh, I think we have too many people today walking around as inhuman, as vampires, as zombies, metaphorically. They're like walking, the walking dead in this life. And uh, I want to close by saying that um, what it means to be human is truly um, going to be offered a uh, myriad of definitions by the world to answer that question. And you and I, as the followers of Christ, as the church, we need to hold fast to understand that the true meaning of that is to have life that comes to us from the outside through the life of Christ, living his life through you, his divine humanity coming to rescue our fallen humanity, his life coming to give life to our spiritual death inside of us. And there are far too many people who are zombies and vampires. I I wonder if that's just a perfect metaphor uh, for people today, whether so many zombie movies and and TV shows, so many vampire TV shows and why vampires and why zombies. And I think part of the reason why is because um, vampires and zombies know that uh, the life is in the flesh and that the life is in the blood. And uh, I think that's why Jesus Christ came. He said in John chapter 6, if you metaphorically eat my flesh and drink my blood, um, you will have eternal life. And that's really what we need. And we're going to receive communion now as a way as a way of remembering the Lord's death and resurrection. And as we do that, we are also reminded that it is his life uh, through his death and through our faith that comes into our life to give us life. It is his life that truly defines what it means for us to be human. 
And we need to remember that now, church. We need to remember that his life is what sustains us. His life is what forgives us. His life is what gives us eternal life. And so I want to invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, to receive the communion elements with me now as we take the bread that represents his broken body and drink the juice that represents his shed blood. Amen and amen. And so, church, as we uh, close our time together, what it means to be human, uh, let's hold on to the greatest divine human being that ever walked this earth, who gave his life for you, that your life may come to life both now and in eternity. Let's honor the one who has shown us that his, his divine humanity is really the answer to a culture and a world that is lost and that is searching for what it means to be human. And we need to say to people, you know, um, our humanity in our natural state uh, isn't really that great. We have our moments, but at the core... It's really a reality of death. And so let's point people to our Lord and Savior who can give to us life. And let's submit our lives to him. And let's believe more than any other idol that we're worshiping or people that we're trying to, to hold on to to deliver life to us or whatever that might be, that um, let's submit our lives to him and trust that he will give us the life that, um, that he has promised to us and he is good and that he is the answer to what it means to be human.